Hello, everyone. This is Sal from Bitcoin Taxes. Welcome to our podcast. Each episode, we speak to an expert with knowledge related to cryptocurrency and blockchain technology. Today, we're going to be talking to Andrew Gordon. Andrew is the managing attorney of Gordon Law Group. Andrew is a frequent guest on the podcast, super knowledgeable guy. We love talking to him. Andrew, thanks for being here today. Well, thank you very much, Sal, for having me. Can you tell our listeners, for anybody who's not familiar with you, how you're involved in the crypto space? Sure. So I'm an attorney. I'm also a CPA. I got my master's in accounting before I went to law school. And uh, since 2014, I've been helping my my firm rather has been helping crypto investors, individuals and businesses from everything uh, from compliance, tax reporting to crypto audits and even criminal investigations. All right, great. So today we're going to talk about a few different things. I want to start by talking about the current bills that are going through. Um, One of them's already passed. The infrastructure bill has been passed. And then one of them is most likely going to be passed within the next month or two, which is the Build Back Better bill. Um, I want to talk about both of those and how they're related to crypto and what they could potentially mean for crypto. So let's start with the infrastructure bill. Sure. So the infrastructure bill has passed. It passed a couple months ago. And one of the most hotly debated areas that pertains to crypto is whether or not certain intermediaries would be considered brokers and as such required to um, report on a form 1099B, the transactions that go through uh, their, their platform. And so if you're an exchange, for instance, under the infrastructure bill, starting in, um, I believe it is 2023, you will have to report for all of your users Um, much of the information that's necessary for tax reporting, the cost basis, the date purchased, the date sold, and the sales price for any transactions that occur. Um, But what was up to a lot of debate was who would need to do this. Um, If you were, for instance, operating a node or even just mining, were you considered a intermediary that now is a broker under this definition? And unfortunately, the bill that passed didn't have any clarification as to whether or not, for instance, a node operator would also fall under this. Um, There were efforts in both the House and Senate to change the language, but unfortunately, it just didn't happen. So right now, we're waiting on the Department of Treasury to issue further guidance, which we all expect is going to happen long before 2023, to actually define whether or not or to what extent these different parties will need to report tax information. Do you have any uh, hot take on whether you think so, like a node operator would be considered somebody that needs to do this or how do you think it'll play out? Any opinion? Sure. So in the house, there were efforts to more narrowly define the definition. So that is more, for example, aligned with exchanges rather than someone that has a node or, or mining. Um, and that language didn't pass, although it by uh, many accounts was the common sense approach. The Department of Treasury has at least informally made statements that they will narrow down the language. So my opinion on this is that most likely uh, by the time that it becomes effective, it will only apply to really the the parties that were intended. Um, The exchanges, the -the over-the-counter brokers, um, crypto ATMs perhaps, um, but not people that are that really shouldn't need to report and yeah. won't be able to report because if you're operating a node there's no chance that you can obtain all the information on all the transactions that you process through your node it's just it's not practical it's it doesn't pass common sense 
Yeah, and that's what a lot of people were getting kind of like hung up about because again, it is so ridiculous that if that were to be the case and they did say yes, like a node operator has to <laughs> do this, it would just be insanity because like you said, it's basically impossible anyway. Right. So you mentioned that uh, cryptocurrency exchanges will will likely have to provide all of that information like cost basis. Now for anybody listening, as you know, you probably, if you're listening, you probably use multiple exchanges. So it's not, sometimes it's not possible for Coinbase to know, for example, your cost basis from another exchange. So in that case, you're still definitely going to want to use not to plug our software, but Bitcoin.tax. <laughs> and you're going to want to talk to a competent, great crypto attorney, not to plug Andrew Gordon, but like Andrew Gordon, you're still going to need that assistance because these crypto exchanges are just going to be able to do what they can do within their own ecosystem, right? You're 100% right. Um, unfortunately, Congress didn't invite me to come and present and discuss my thoughts on the 1099B form. It is a uh, great step forward, but it is not the ultimate solution because exactly what you described. Um, in the crypto space, it is typical, it's not unusual, but it is typical that individuals transfer between exchanges their crypto or between from a wallet to an exchange to back to a wallet to a different exchange. That is not unusual, it's typical. Yes. The problem is that as soon as that happens, the exchange has lost any insight uh, as to the cost basis of the, the crypto that's coming in from another source. So unless there's now going to be some sort of information sharing across all exchanges, which isn't part of the bill, then this document is either going to be misleading or it's going to only have half of the information. So unfortunately, it's not an, a solution. We're still going to need to use software. And unfortunately, what we've also seen is that companies have in the past tried to issue 1099Bs. We've seen them from a couple different platforms, mainly the smaller ones over the last couple of years. And what ends up happening is that while it's a good effort, the information on there often doesn't even match what the transaction reports show. Mm -hmm. And so then we're having even deeper issues because the IRS thinks that it's one series of numbers and then actually it's, it's different numbers uh, in itself. So the 1099Bs, I'm hopeful that um, it will make the process simpler, but at least on its face, it's going to have a, a number of different issues. All right. And so let's talk about the next bill, the Build Back Better bill, which has not yet passed um, everywhere. So can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So the, the main thing that's been of concern in the crypto space is the wash sale rule and efforts of Congress to um, have the wash sale rule apply to crypto. And so even just taking a step back, in the world of stocks or securities, if you sell a stock at a loss and then buy it back within 30 days, the IRS considers this a wash. You don't get to actually take that first loss as a taxable loss because you bought it back. In the world of crypto, most practitioners don't believe that the wash sale rule applies, mainly because the regulations for wash sale rules, the language specifies that it only pertains to stocks or securities. Since most cryptos, at least under current law, are not uh, securities, they're just simply property, then a strict reading of the wash sale rule is that crypto doesn't fall into that. And so what does that mean? Well, it means you can sell crypto at a loss and then buy it back even the next day without waiting 30 days, and you'll still be able to take a loss. And this has been a strategy that 
many of our clients and um, users of Bitcoin.tax have used it for tax loss harvesting, because if you can sell at a loss, realize that loss, but you still want to hold that crypto, you still want to be long, you can buy it back, but still use that loss to offset other gains in the current year, or even income up to $3,000, and then can be carried forward to future years. So it's a great strategy, it doesn't work for everyone, but for many people, tax loss harvesting um, and buying even back the crypto is a great strategy, but it doesn't apply in the stocks or securities world. So Congress um, has, or as certain members of Congress have said, no, we need to close this loophole and have the wash sale rule also apply to crypto. And it's yet to be seen whether or not it'll pass or in what form, um, but if it does, that means that if you wanted to buy it back, you'd have to wait 30 days. Um, so we're, we're closely monitoring it, but um, for some taxpayers, it may be worth realizing those losses now this year before uh, the changes occur. Okay. Yeah. And so, you know, we're recording, it's uh, the first week of December right now. So as of now, people can still utilize the lack of wash sales on crypto to do some tax loss harvesting. At least as, as of now. Yes. And that's, that's our interpretation. It's, it's most practitioners that we've spoken to's interpretation, but it's also now supported by Congress that yeah. the current law doesn't apply to crypto. Up until then, uh, up until this update where Congress is trying to change things, it's been ambiguous as to whether or not it applies. But now we actually have Congress trying to fix it. So by doing so, the, the inference is, well, the current law doesn't apply. That's actually uh, kind of funny. And I use the term funny loosely because we're talking about crypto taxation. But in this space, I've never really thought about it like that. Because with wash sales, you typically do feel fairly comfortable telling people, you know, wash sales don't exist in crypto. Wash sales aren't a part of crypto, even though, like you said, it's a little bit ambiguous, but now it really has, it's like a double-edged sword. It, it has been proven that wash sales don't apply to crypto just by the fact that they're trying to <laughs> have wash sales apply to crypto now. So I never really thought about it like that. It's a good point. Yeah. yeah. As I said, it's early December. So tis the season. Let's talk about crypto donations and how they can be a benefit to the person making the donation. And then of course, obviously a benefit to the organization receiving the donation. Yeah, so overall, if you make a donation or a charitable contribution to a registered charity, typically a 501c3, you can take a deduction on your tax return. You need to be itemizing your deductions. And so some clients come to us and they say, well, will I get a benefit if I donate the answer isn't always yes, because some people are taking the standard deduction and as such, then you won't itemize and you won't be able to take charitable deductions. But if your donation goes over the standard, well, now you likely should itemize. Um, but it, it really depends on your situation. So the first consideration overall is, am I even going to get a deduction um, based on my tax status and also the amount that I'm seeking to donate? But assuming that you will receive a deduction, um, by donating crypto rather than, for instance, cash, there's actually a, a substantial advantage. And so if you've held crypto for at least a year and it's appreciated in value, it's worth more now than when it, you originally bought it. If you sell it for cash and then donate the cash, you're going to have a capital gain calculated as the difference between 
what you bought it for and then the sales price when you convert it to cash. You have a capital gain, but then you'd also have a charitable donation, a deduction for the fair market value. And so um, you'll have a positive, you also have a negative, but overall, um, often you'll have a larger deduction than the gain itself. However, the best strategy is to donate the actual crypto itself. Why? Well, if you donate the crypto, you won't have that first step of the transaction, which is the taxable gain. Um, and you'll just have the, the deduction for the fair market value of the crypto you donated. You need to hold it for at least a year. So that's a requirement in order to get the fair market value. But as long as you've done so, and then you've donated it, you'll get that deduction without the gain first that you would have had if you had, for instance, converted it to cash and donated the cash. So it's crucial to find a, a charity that's not only a 501c3, but also that can accept crypto and the crypto that you want to contribute um, specifically. Because again, if you just donate cash, you'll have a gain. Yeah, that's huge too. Like in, in today's market, like specifically Bitcoin, I mean, we're talking a year ago, pretty big price difference. So you're avoiding a pretty hefty capital gain and still getting that deduction. So it's pretty uh, pretty sweet deal, especially if you're looking to get a tax deduction, you're looking to do something charitable. It works out. It's good for both parties. And I do want to just shout out BitGive. Uh, BitGive, they... You know, we've had Connie Gallippi. She's the CEO of BitGive. We've had her on the podcast numerous times. They are a 501c3 that accepts crypto and they actually hold the crypto. They are a very crypto focused 501c3. They care about crypto. They care about spreading the word of crypto. So BitGive is the organization and then GiveTrack is their system for donating crypto. And I think one of the projects on GiveTrack right now is helping kids understand crypto and getting more kids into crypto. And that was actually spearheaded by Isaiah Jackson, who we had on the podcast before too, who wrote Bitcoin in Black America. So it's it's cool. It's nice. We're getting to shout out all these people we've had on the podcast. Everybody's doing big things, just trying to support crypto. So check out BitGive, check out GiveTrack if you're interested in donating crypto, check that out. All right, Andrew. So now I just want to ask you a few questions about some topics in crypto tax that people find confusing and that I would consider somewhat controversial because some people have an opinion one way, some people have an opinion the other way. So I'm just going to ask you some of these things. Now, crypto loans, maybe that's a less controversial one, but it's an interesting concept nonetheless. So can you talk about how crypto loans are taxed? I, if you are loaning your crypto to somebody else or taking a crypto loan out, Sure. So in general, loans themselves are not taxable events, but there are many different things that go along with loans that could be. And so let's break it down. If you're, for instance, borrowing Bitcoin and you've uh, done so by collateralizing your Ethereum and you have a deposit, therefore, of Bitcoin into your wallet, this deposit, this debt is not a taxable event. Um, similarly, when you go to pay the loan, you withdraw Bitcoin out of your wallet. That is also not a taxable event. However, if you pay interest, which you almost certainly will, then that is generally a spend transaction. And if you, for instance, pay an additional, let's say you borrowed one Bitcoin and then you paid 0.1 Bitcoin in interest, you will have a spend for 0.1 Bitcoin, and therefore you'll have a gain or loss calculated on that 0.1 Bitcoin expense. Um, 
And then uh, on the other hand, if you were making a loan to someone, and so you withdrew Bitcoin from your wallet, that wouldn't be a taxable event. But then if you got paid interest, then that would be income to you at the fair market value of the interest that you received at the time you received it. So say you loan someone one Bitcoin, and then a year later, uh, they give you back the one Bitcoin, but also give you an additional 0.1, you'll have interest income at the fair market value of that 0.1 Bitcoin. Now, this is a very simple example, and I went through it quite quick. But what often happens is along that process, there are other taxable events. So for instance, I borrow one Bitcoin. Now I'm now borrowing. I borrow one Bitcoin. Well, I'm not just going to sit on that Bitcoin. Very few people do that. Mm -hmm. Instead, I'm going to trade that Bitcoin um, to other tokens. And then I'm going to, maybe I do some margin trading or to do something else with it. And then um, I later on convert back to Bitcoin to pay back the loan. Well, all of these transactions are now taxable events. The initial deposit of Bitcoin is not. You have a loan and typically that your cost basis uh, would be the fair market value when it was deposited. And then as you trade that, you have taxable events that all need to be reported uh, and calculated a gain or loss on. So the loan itself, not taxable, but often all of these different steps, as soon as you do anything with the, the proceeds of that loan, then it's typically a taxable event. Okay. Let's say I buy a Bitcoin for 50,000 and that's my cost basis. I spend 50,000 on it. I then loan it out to somebody, you know, when it's worth 50,000 or whatever, they eventually pay it back. And let's say it's worth 70,000 when they pay it back. Right. So my original cost basis was 50 grand. I get it back. Now it's worth 70 grand. Is my cost basis still 50 grand on that Bitcoin? If I go to dispose of it later. So assuming that the loan itself was denominated in Bitcoin, mm -hmm. your cost basis hasn't changed. So, so the loan, for instance, was um, you're loaning one Bitcoin and you're going to be returned one Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. That is very different than saying I'm loaning you $50,000, but I'm doing so by transferring you one Bitcoin and therefore you owe me $50,000 back in a year. Okay. Maybe that's 0.8 Bitcoin. Maybe that's 1.2. Maybe that's 10 Bitcoin. That's a different type of loan. Most are denominated in the uh, cryptocurrency itself. So that way, even though the price has changed, it's not a taxable event. You've loaned it out. You're getting it back. Nothing changes on your end. Your cost hmm. basis hasn't changed. Nothing's changed from the person that's making the loan. Okay, great. Yeah, thank you for answering that. All right, the next question I want to go to is uh, a coin called Locktrip. And that coin Locktrip, um, I think back last year, maybe in December sometime or November, it moved from the Ethereum blockchain to a blockchain called Hydra. So it moved to the Hydra blockchain. It, so in a sense, it was a swap, but it was a one-to-one -one ratio swap. It was, you know, if you had 10 Locktrip uh, on the Ethereum blockchain, then you had 10 Locktrip on the Hydra blockchain. I believe it took a day or two to do this swap. So I guess my question is, A, is that a taxable event? And B, does it change the date that you now acquire the coin? I mean, I said, you know, I said one or two lock trip, but let's say you had a million lock trip and you moved it and you had it, you had it for a year. And then all of a sudden you did this blockchain swap where you moved it to a new blockchain. Is your acquisition date 
on that lock trip now the date that it was moved to the new blockchain or is it still when you bought it a year ago? And I know it's kind of a controversial and confusing question, but if I can have your take on that. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a great question. And we see it with different fact patterns are all quite similar uh, all the time where either one token itself was perhaps even hacked. Now mm-hmm. there's a, a new one that the developers uh, are going to release and give you one for one to the initial token. Um, or instances where it switches blockchain, as you've described, or maybe just the name of the token itself changes. Each of these fact patterns has sometimes slightly different results. And what that comes down to is everyone's very favorite thing to hear, which is that there's a lot of uncertainty and lack of guidance uh, in crypto. And so I can tell you that the more conservative position is to treat it like a taxable event, like an actual conversion, a disposition of one asset and the purchase of another. Now, depending on the facts, and I quickly went through a couple different fact patterns, maybe it lends towards a more conservative versus aggressive position. And the aggressive, more aggressive position, and again, depends on the facts, is that the new token is nothing but a continuation, uh, like a, a swap, of the old. Typically where we see that be more supportable is where the old token disappears. Because if it still has value, well, then you have more of an airdrop or a fork. Mm -hmm. So first we like to see that it disappears. Um, But also even in that case, sometimes there there could be an argument that it it was a disposition and and a purchase of a new one. But if you're gonna take a more aggressive position and treat it like a swap or not a taxable event, then we would have the cost basis carry over from the cost basis and the holding period carry over from the initial token. Okay. And you know, what's interesting about this lock trip example is that you could have done it manually. You could have enacted the swap manually, or if you're holding on certain exchanges, I think like hit BTC. And I think there was one other exchange. If you were holding lock trip on those exchanges, they automatically did it. So I do feel like that kind of changes the fact pattern as you, as you refer to it as, because now there is something else going on, right? Like there's something going on behind the scenes versus you manually doing it. So it's kind of tricky. It's disappointing that there isn't better guidance on this stuff because people we're talking about a lot of money that people could be making or, or, you know, the value significantly changing or the holding period significantly changing. So it's, it's a big deal to a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And so on that note, actually, this really highlights why it's so important to have a crypto tax professional that really knows what they're talking about and how to deal with these really nuanced events. And so I just want to, you know, mention again, we've, we've had a podcast before about our full service option at Bitcoin.tax. Um, obviously, Andrew, you're our full service partner. A lot of people have worked with you. They love working with you. Can you talk a little bit more about why it's so important to have a competent and a crypto knowledgeable tax professional that you're working with, with this kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. So Bitcoin.tax is a great tool. It's, it's great. It's freaking great. Um, but Thank you. the crypto law itself is not. In fact, there's very little regulation. The IRS has issued less than a handful of documents on the topic of cryptocurrency. And some of them aren't even authoritative or binding. So the law kind of sucks. Okay? Mm-hmm. Software, great. 
<laughs> so what, what that means is that someone uh, needs to sometimes step in and interpret the law and how it applies or the absence of the law and how it applies to certain facts. And so even as we just discussed, depending on the, uh, the, the swap that occurs and, and how it occurs and all the different facts, that may push you towards one treatment versus another. Um, and so that's why often you need professionals to sit down with you virtually, work through the facts, work through the more complex transactions where sometimes there needs to be a judgment call or a legal decision made um, and done so in a way that we feel confident could be sustained before the IRS. So um, not just a decision that you make on whim, but something mm -hmm. that we feel comfortable with um, because also our experience in handling audits. Very fortunately, I can't think of any of our clients that have been audited after we've done the work, but we have clients every day who come to us that are being audited because they didn't report properly. And so we get to see what works, what doesn't work, where where you simply can't push too far and then use those lessons and apply them to our clients. So we're able to help through the entire process from start to finish, getting everything linked into the software, but then also making those more complex decisions and legal calls to generate at the end final reports that are going to be a, a heck of a lot better than the 1099Bs that Congress are going to require to be issued in a couple of years. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, I've worked with you for a while now and I got to say, I've given you praise publicly before, but you know, you guys are the best of the best. You guys know what you're talking about. People are so happy after they're working with you. You guys get it done. You have some of the best people working for you. Uh, so definitely the right move, especially if you're dealing with large amounts of coins and you're just unsure, the right thing to do is to get in touch with Andrew Gordon's team, for example, and to, to talk to him. And on that note, there's an option. Uh, if you go to bitcoin.tech slash full service, there is an option for a consult. If you just want to get in touch with Andrew or his team, there's a consult option where you can schedule something like that. And then there's also, if you know for a fact that you're going to want to utilize Andrew and his team, there's the option to do a single tax year, option to do multiple tax years. So it's very flexible as to how somebody comes to you for assistance. Great. All right, Andrew. So you've provided such great information. Um, you know, as I said, I've worked with you for a while and Gordon Law Group, since I started working with you, it's expanded so many times. And I know you've got some cool stuff going on in your life. So can you just tell us a little bit about what's going on with Gordon Law Group? What's going on with you? Give us a little update. Yeah. So, well, I guess the, the biggest news is um, I had a baby, a son born about Congrats. four months ago. Uh, his name is Henry and uh, he's been life-changing, which I'm sure anyone that has a first child will, will tell you. And so that has been probably the most exciting uh, news. But the other part is that my other family, my work family, has been also rapidly expanding as well. Um, we've been at the forefront of, of crypto for several years, um, yet there's over the last couple of years been even more growth in the space. And so um, in order to make sure that we stay on top of demand, but also continue to deliver a very high level of service. We've been continuing to add uh, attorneys and accountants and marketing staff as well. So if you're listening to this and you're an attorney or an accountant and you're interested in getting into the crypto space, uh, we might have a role for you. So reach out. 
Very cool. Well, uh, you know, I look forward to uh, Henry's first crypto. That'll be pretty cool (laughs) (laughs) if he doesn't already have some from uh, dad. But that's pretty cool. Congratulations, man. And congratulations on uh, everything you're doing. And like I said, you guys are the best of the best. So uh, it's probably awesome to be a part of your team, of course. And thank you for coming on the podcast, giving this great information. People are getting this awesome information for free. So we really appreciate that. And uh, if if somebody wants to get in touch with you, aside from going to Bitcoin.tax slash full service and signing up for a consult, is there any other other way um, people can get in touch or your website or anything like that? Twitter. Yeah, check out our website, gordonlawltd.com and also Twitter, gordonlawltd. We have a ton of free information on uh, all different topics, tax, crypto, um, business law, and we really try to be a resource for everyone out there. So please check us out. Follow us on social media. Great. All right. Well, thank you so much again and uh, have a happy holiday, Andrew. Thanks to you too. Thank you. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Bitcoin Taxes podcast. You can find out more information about today's guest by going to talk.bitcoin.tax. If you enjoyed today's episode, we would love it if you could give us a positive review on whichever podcast platform you listen to the episode on. Don't forget, you can go to bitcoin.tax for any of your cryptocurrency tax calculation needs. Have a great day, everybody. And thanks again for listening. Mm -hmm.